0: It's been quite a month. There's never been a time in this country when there's been such total mandated isolation. When I was in academy, we learned a little about social distancing. Back then, we joked about the term academy distance, which was the distance that was supposed to be maintained between couples on campus. At home and in school, over the years, we've learned social skills about respecting each other's personal space. But we are entering a brave new COVID-19 world. This is not simply academy distance nor respecting another space. There are to be no hug greetings for friends, not even handshakes. Six feet distance is maintained. And now a few have advised we may need to increase the distance as much as 27 feet if we are inside an enclosed space. Schools are closed. Our loved ones in nursing homes cannot receive visits. Patients can receive no hospital visits and are alone except for contact with care providers wearing protective clothing and facial masks. Contact with physicians are often limited to, tele- to telemedicine. Daniel Vives and Fred's son, Dustin, two of our members, had to drastically scale back and change their March 21 wedding plans just a couple weeks ago. But that was so a couple weeks ago. Dan Stuglick and Amy Simonson have a wedding today. The two are being joined by more than a hundred cardboard cutouts of family and friends in the old Rugged Cross Church in Pokagon, Michigan. There are less happy times, with isolation, even at funerals. Our own church week of prayer, prayer meeting, Sabbath school, all have been live-streamed or Zoomed, and you are watching church today on a combination of Zoom and live stream. Here in Chattanooga, starting today, we are on a shelter-in-place order, which means we are all to stay home. And for many in Chattanooga, this means staying home alone. Quarantines may feel like they are something new, but quarantines are not new. Contagious diseases have been quarantined from ancient times. In fact, God instructed that his people quarantine individuals with certain infectious diseases. The Black Death has a number of names. Perhaps most common is the bubonic plague or just the plague. Many historians believe it originated in China. In 1347 it swept through Europe through trade routes and war. Its approach terrorized cities and nations. Estimates of the percentage of the population which died range as high as 60 percent. It forever changed Europe and is credited with ending the feudal system. The highly contagious and often fatal disease of smallpox brought fear And uh, quarantines. The mosquito brought us yellow fever, and patients with this disease were quarantined. The polio virus and other pandemic also brought community quarantines. This is simply a sampling of diseases that have triggered community quarantines over the centuries. For decades, people with more mild contagious diseases have self quarantined. When Ellen White had a cold, she wisely self isolated from the rest of the family as you can see, which uh, in a quote from manuscript releases. While in Australia, Ellen White wrote a letter to her son and daughter-in-law Edson and Emma White. She told them about a quarant- <clears throat> quarantining situation that had just occurred. She said, Sister Heard arrived in Melbourne from Africa one week ago last Sabbath. Before we continue, let me give you a bit of background to the story. The sister Heard mentioned in this letter was Hetty Heard. Hetty Heard was an experienced trainer of Bible instructors. She had taught on three continents, North America, Europe, and Africa. Australia would now be her fourth continent. But Hetty wasn't only coming to teach at Avondale College. One of our great pioneers, Stephen Haskell, was a widower. At Ellen White's invitation, he had come to Australia. En route to Australia, he had visited Africa and stayed there for some months. He had known Hetty for years. She was a mission worker teaching there. They renewed their acquaintance, and they made arrangements to be married in Australia. Hetty had now arrived in Australia to be married and begin work with Stephen Haskell. Probably a little excitedly, Hetty went off the boat to Brother Daniel's place. Brother Daniels was A. G. Daniels, who later became the longest-serving president of the General Conference we've had in our church history. Hetty was going to be temporarily staying with other workers in the Daniels' home. But these plans came to a screeching halt. It was ascertained smallpox was on board the vessel they had been riding in. The Melbourne Health Department determined that one of the passengers or crew members on the boat transporting Hetty had the deadly and contagious disease of smallpox. Therefore, she, with others, was brought back to the boat and all were quarantined. Does that sound familiar? Quarantining is not something new. Disappointed, Ellen White added, so we cannot see her. But communications have come from her by letter. In 1897, there were no phone calls. There was no FaceTime. Elder Daniels inquired of the proper ones if he could not see Miss Heard. The individual in charge of the quarantine replied that Daniels could see Hetty, but would also be immediately quarantined. The smallpox quarantine was three weeks, and Hetty simply had to wait. Ellen White continued, Brother Haskell can get letters to her, but none from her. She has written, she is in perfect health. It was frustrating that she was alone, though so close to friends. Of course it was frustrating. Man was not made to be alone. Dr. Stuart Grassian, New York University psychiatrist, studied over 200 inmates in prisons who were in prolonged solitary confinement. He found they became sensitive to noise. They developed distortions and perceptions with illusions and hallucinations. They had severe panic attacks. They experienced difficulties with thinking, concentration, and memory. But I thought the most impressive finding in Dr. Grassian's research was that even a few days of solitary confinement will predictably shift the electroencephalogram, the EEG pattern, toward an abnormal pattern characteristic of stupor and delirium. Bible-believing Christians are not surprised at these findings. This research simply documents scientifically an important truth found throughout the Word of God. But before we study God's Word, let's pray. Dear Father, as we study Your Word today, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will be here to guide all of our study, our minds, and that we can see Jesus and become like Him. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. We will begin in Genesis 1, starting with verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. What did God do? He created light. Continuing with verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good. What did God do in this verse? He evaluated what he made. And what was God's evaluation of his creation? He pronounced it good. Good. If we went through the chapter verse by verse, day by day, we would find this is a pattern of God's creation. God would make something, then look it over and evaluate it and pronounce it good. This is repeated again and again throughout the chapter. Genesis 1 is an outline, an overview of creation. When we go to chapter 2, we are given flashbacks and additional details about a few of the events in chapter 1. So let's continue in Genesis 2. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then after making man, God evaluates him in verse 18. But for the first time, something that God made was incomplete, unfinished, and not yet ready to be declared good. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. God did not simply create Adam to be alone on this earth. God made a family. He made a community. After creating Eve for Adam and placing the two together, God did not only say his creation of the sixth day was good, he said it was very good. Indeed it was. We find the social nature of man is not just mentioned in the opening stories of Scripture, but it is a theme throughout the Bible. An antonym of the word alone is together. Regardless of your preferred English Bible translation, the word together is used hundreds of times in the Bible. Notice what Paul tells us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The early church adopted the practice of getting together. And it is important not to discontinue this practice, as is the manner of some. Already within the ranks of those early believers, some were abandoning assembling together. They may have stopped for any number of reasons. Perhaps they stopped the practice because it was inconvenient. Or maybe they stopped it because there was something they didn't like about the service, or perhaps it was somebody they didn't like who attended. Or perhaps they stopped coming because it was unpopular. Or maybe they did it spasmodically, occasionally. Or maybe they didn't assemble because they were discouraged. Whatever the reason, this had become the manner, the custom of some, and they had stopped attending prayer meetings, Sabbath school, maybe even church. This becomes a vicious cycle because the less you assemble, the less you feel like assembling. Although they professed to be followers of Jesus, they did not follow his example. For his manner, his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, Luke 4.16. The word synagogue is a Greek word for assembly. Jesus assembled with others for worship. God made us social creatures. And God designed worship to be a social activity. Leviticus 23.3, HCSB translation. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work, for it is a Sabbath, To the Lord wherever you live. Some people say, I will Sabbath rest by staying at home. Others say, I will get my Sabbath rest by going to the beach. And others insist they get their rest by going to the Bible and studying by themselves. But God says the way we have a complete rest is by having a sacred assembly. Nothing is to interfere with this assembly, not work, not family, not friends wherever we live, and whenever we live, particularly at the end of time, for Paul continues by saying, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching, so much the more, assemble. It's that much more important. And that's why we're assembling together on Zoom and livestream. We're social creatures. And a part of worship is to be social. And a part of social is to assemble and worship but we skipped an important phrase in our verse, but exhorting one another. But what does the word exhorting mean? I like how many translations such as the ESV use the word encouraging. We assemble together to encourage one another. The reason we are here is to encourage each other. If you're discouraged, that's not a reason to miss church. That's a great impetus to going to church. If you're discouraged, come to church to encourage someone else. Call someone you think may be discouraged. Invite them to come to church with you. Give them the link to the service. Look for them online. Pray for them. And then tell them how happy you were, if it was Zoom, to see them at church. That will encourage you, just as it will encourage them. Christ Object Lessons 338 tells us as followers of Christ, we should make our words such as to be a help and an encouragement to one another in the Christian life. As followers of Christ's example, we assemble on Sabbath. As followers of Christ's example, when we assemble, we want our words to help and encourage others in their Christian life. Far more than we do, the quotation continues, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. Have you noticed how easy it is to tell others about our discouragements, problems, and difficulties? Unfortunately, these reports may bring us some sympathy, but they seldom bring us or others any encouragement. But when we share the precious experiences Christ has brought to us, we become encouraged, and our hearers become encouraged. We should speak of the mercy and loving kindness of God, of the matchless depths of the Savior's love. A word should be words of praise and thanksgiving. If the mind and heart are full of the love of God, this will be revealed in the conversation. Jesus said in Luke 6:45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Do you want to know how to judge fruit? Let me read it again. Jesus tells us a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That's how you can judge fruit. If the mind and heart are full of the love of God, this will be revealed in the conversation. Often an evil man seeks to disguise his evil by hiding behind a pretense of Christianity. But our conversation reveals our true treasure, which we have in our heart. It will not be a difficult matter to impart that which enters into our spiritual life. Great thoughts, noble aspirations, clear perceptions of truth, unselfish purposes, yearnings for piety and holiness, will bear fruit. What kind of fruit? They will bear fruit in words that reveal the character of the heart treasure. When Christ is thus revealed in our speech, it will have power in winning souls to him. When Jesus is in the heart, good thoughts are in the mind, and good words come out of our mouths. This is the secret of attracting others to Jesus. Malachi 3.16 tells us, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, They didn't know it, but another was listening in on the conversation. The verse continues, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Our words of encouragement to others are precious to God. He writes them down in his book of remembrance. Two thousand years ago, there was a crowd talking about Jesus. Jesus was listening to the conversation. Only one person's words got written in this book. I love how Desire of Ages describes the scene, giving us a glimpse into Christ's mind while he was hanging on the cross. For long hours of agony, reviling and mockery have fallen upon the ears of Jesus. As he hangs upon the cross, there floats up to him still the sound of jeers and curses. These words will go into a book, but not the book of remembrance. With longing heart, he has listened for some expression of faith from his disciples. He has heard only the mournful words, We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. How grateful then to the Saviour was the utterance of faith and love from the dying thief. This got into that Book of Remembrance. That dying thief has only a short entry. God didn't wait for heaven to reveal the entry and publish it. That short entry of the thief has given many a dying sinner hope to also trust Jesus. While the leading Jews deny him, and even the disciples doubt his divinity, the poor thief upon the brink of eternity calls Jesus Lord. What does Jesus hear as we associate together? Our curses? Our doubts? Or does he hear expressions of our faith? Does he hear our expressions of gratitude and praise? We've looked at the importance of being together in worship, but there's also a joy in working together. Just as children don't enjoy being by themselves or working by themselves, we don't enjoy feeling like we're doing all the work by ourselves. Certainly Martha didn't. Luke tells us Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. God doesn't leave us to work alone in his cause. Paul says we are labors together with God. And he stays working together with us to the very end. Lo, he said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And God's people will be together to the end as well. Notice this interesting passage from early writing, speaking about the beginning of the time of trouble. I saw the saints leaving the cities and villages. And notice the next phrase, associating together in companies and living in the most solitary places. Even at the end, in remote retreats, will be in groups. Now those in prison, even those placed in solitary confinement, will not be alone. Great controversy tells us, though enemies may thrust them into prison, yet dungeon walls cannot cut off the communication between their souls and Christ. One who sees their every weakness, who is acquainted with every trial, is above all earthly powers. And angels will come to them in lonely cells, bringing light and peace from heaven. Bars cannot shut out angels. Bars cannot shut out Jesus. And they come there in those dungeon cells. The prison will be as a palace for the rich in faith dwell there. They're rich, rich in faith. And the gloomy walls will be lighted up with heavenly light, as when Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises at midnight in the Philippian dungeon. And being together continues till Jesus come. This morning we've been looking at a Bible theme that God created us with a nature that's social. We've seen that God himself said it isn't good for us to be alone. And the good news is that we don't go to heaven alone. Those who teach that the saved go to heaven when they die are teaching a false doctrine that misses one of the great joys of the second coming and the resurrection. The redeemed all go to heaven together. Much of the enjoyment of life comes by enjoying something together with another. My wife and I have been walking together around our neighborhood. We've been watching the colors of spring flowers on the trees and other plants. And more than half of the enjoyment we experience is enjoying it together the saved experience the same wonder and surprise as they came up, come up from the grave or are translated alive at the second coming. The Bible makes this clear. 1 Thessalonians 4:16, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. In the great faith chapter, Paul says that the great heroes of faith don't go to heaven in advance of us. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Hebrews 11.40 We are designed to do things together. We will experience the deliverance from sin and death together. We will thrill at the amazing experiences of traveling together from earth to heaven. We will marvel at the sounds and sights of the new Jerusalem together. We'll enjoy the delicate perfumes of the flowers, the delicious tastes of the fruit. And we'll be doing this together with our friends. And being together doesn't stop when Jesus comes and we first get to heaven. heaven. We won't be in heaven alone. We will be there with our friends, the friends that brought us to Jesus, the friends we brought to Jesus. And every saint is given a crown. Look at the description of these crowns. Some of them had... Very bright crowns, others not so bright. Some crowns appeared heavy with stars, while others had but few. The song that asks the question, Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown, is answered. Everyone in heaven has not just one, but at least a few stars in their crown. If we refuse to be friends with God's people here, we should not think we will be there. For fellowship with friends in heaven is just a continuation of the friendships of heavenly-minded friends on this earth. Letter 12, says one or two must not think that they can be prospered by keeping aloof from their brethren and think they can go to heaven alone. Heaven is a social place. Notice this description from Education, page 306. There, that is in heaven, the loves and sympathies that God has planted in the soul will find truest in sweetest exercise. God has placed the seeds of love and sympathy in our hearts, this says. These are are part of the preparation for heaven. But the quotation continues, the pure communion with holy beings, the harmonious social life with the blessed angels, and with the faithful ones of all ages, the sacred fellowship that binds together the whole family in heaven and earth all are among the experiences of the hereafter. I remember being a freshman at Loma Linda's School of Medicine. After about six weeks, it was the very first time in my life that I actually felt alone and lonely. I didn't know anyone, no one knew me, and I didn't have time to socialize. I was too busy studying. One evening, reading the book, Our High Calling, I ran across a statement that I've never forgotten. I've never even forgotten the page number. I don't know I didn't know it at the time, but later learned the background of the statement. This was an excerpt from a letter to the author's son, Willie White. He was away for a short training school for missionary endeavor. It was Willie's first time away from home. He was a teenager and homesick. His mother wrote him a beautiful letter. I will only share one paragraph from this letter. when I understood this paragraph. Within a very short time, my loneliness left me. I've never had it again. Let me read the paragraph that it was so transformational for me. Our High Calling, page 64. Your only safety and happiness are in making Christ your constant counselor. You can be happy in him if you had not another friend in the whole wide world. In the wide world. Your feelings of unrest and homesickness or loneliness may be for your good. Your Heavenly Father means to teach you to find in Him the friendship and love and consolation that will satisfy your most earnest hopes and desires. In a certain respect, Jesus is lonely for us. And if our loneliness makes us lonely for Him, it's a good thing because he alone can fully remove our loneliness have you found that friend the apostle john did he was a prisoner banished to patmos acts of the apostles tells us patna patmos a barren island a barren rocky island in the aegean sea had been chosen by the roman government as a place of banishment for criminals but to the servant of god this gloomy abode became the gate of heaven how could a gloomy, lonely abode become a gate of heaven? It he continues, here, shut away from the busy scenes of life and from the active labors of former years, he had the companionship of God and Christ and the heavenly angels, and from them he received instruction for the church for all future time. God created our minds for companionship with angels. Notice this Christ Object Lessons, page 200. The mind that God created for the companionship of angels, that's the human mind. And we can have angelic companionship begin now. When Christ was on earth, he was lonely. The friend of all, he only had a few real friends. Desire of Ages 524 tells us at the home of Lazarus, Jesus Jesus had often found rest. The Savior had no home of his own. He was dependent on the hospitality of his friends and disciples. Think of it. The creator of the universe, the ruler of the heavenly host, willingly relinquished his rulership and became a man, making himself dependent on others' hospitality. This gave others the opportunity to show hospitality. In a sense, Jesus is still dependent on our hospitality. In the Day of Rewards, he says to the righteous, Matthew 25, 35-40, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. You see, Jesus remains dependent on our hospitality. And often... When weary, thirsting for human fellowship, he had been glad to escape to this peaceful household of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Is he glad to be escaping to your home? Are you inviting Jesus into your home? He still thirsts for human fellowship. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. That invitation is to anyone. He'll eat with us. Are you inviting him to your meals? When we ask the blessing, we're not simply asking for his blessing on the food. We're asking for his presence at our table. Jesus has designed a way to banish loneliness from the most lonely. Education, page 127, with the word of God in his hands. Every human being, whatever his lot in life may be cast, may have such companionship as he shall choose. In its pages he may hold converse with the noblest and best of the human race, and may listen to the voice of the Eternal as he speaks with men. As he studies and meditates upon the things into which the angels desire to look, he may have their companionship. He may follow the steps of the Heavenly Teacher, and listen to his words as when he taught on mountain and plain and sea. He may dwell in this world in the atmosphere of heaven. Let me pause here for a moment. We can have the atmosphere of heaven in this world. In the midst of contagious air, we can breathe freely of the air of heaven. And we can bring the air of heaven, its oxygen, to others. Imparting to earth sorrowing and tempted ones thoughts of hope and longings for holiness himself coming closer and still closer into fellowship with the unseen, like him of old who walked with God, drawing near and near the threshold of the eternal world. Until the portal shall open, and he shall enter there, he will find himself no stranger. The voices that will greet him are the voices of the holy ones, who unseen were on earth his companions, voices that here he learned to distinguish and to love. He who, through the word of God, has lived in fellowship with heaven will find himself at home in heaven's fellowship. This is the companionship that heaven offers. God never quarantines us from heaven's companionship. On this earth, we face plague after plague. That will not change until Jesus comes. This isn't the last quarantine. Letter 52, 1892, plagues are in our world. And the Spirit of God is being gradually withdrawn from the children of men. But these need never affect our companionship in heaven. The angels will dwell with us when humans depart, when humans fear to be near us. The Word of God can be in our minds when Bibles are taken away. A Christian will never be quarantined from Jesus and the heavenly angels. We can have their companionship, and their peace. Desire of Ages 3.31 As through Jesus we enter into rest, heaven begins here. We respond to his invitation, Come, learn of me. And in thus coming, we begin the life life eternal. Heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. The longer we are in the heaven of bliss, the more and still more of glory will be opened to us. And the more we know of God, the more intense will be our happiness. As we walk with Jesus in this life, we may be filled with his love, satisfied with his presence. All that human nature can bear, all that human nature can bear, let me read it again, we may receive here. But what is this compared with the hereafter? There are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now and throughout eternity, we can have a relationship with God that's near, still near. A friendship with God that's near, still near. A happiness with God that's more intense and still more intense. But it begins here by answering his call, Come unto me.